0: Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to read a passage and pray, and then we're going to be turning in our Bibles to the last book uh, in the Bible, the book of Revelation. In the letter that I sent out, I told the story about listening to the Dale Earnhardt Jr. podcast. I mean, that's, that's a spiritual podcast right there, if you like making left turns in succession for a long period of time. And so I was listening as he had Chipper Jones on And I'm always interested in listening to professional athletes, even though uh, I never aspired to to be anything like that uh, because I didn't have a body for it, right? Uh, Unless sumo wrestling becomes popular in the United States, I probably will likely not become a professional athlete. But I got the build for that just in case. But as I was listening to Chipper Jones, he was talking about his... His life and how he went through, you know, uh, he was a good athlete in several different um, sports. But his dad had coached him in baseball through most of his life. Uh, and, you know, he, he found that himself that when you get to the major leagues, you're just, you're always having to perform. You see, a good athlete in a small area or a small town, you can be a standout and really not be all that good. You just happen to be better than everybody else. He said, but when you get to major leagues, everybody's good. You're not playing against normal people. You're playing against everybody who excelled at that sport in their neighborhoods and in their high schools and in their college. And so when you get to the major leagues, the pressure to perform is great. But he said every now and then, you know, Chipper Jones always had what they refer to as a good bat. He always was a good hitter and also a good infielder. And he said there would be a time occasionally when he would just get in a hitting slump. You ever been there? I've always had a hitting slump, is the way I looked at it. My softball team chose to play one player down rather than to let me on the field. That's how bad I was. And y'all laughing. You know you're here. I see. Chris was the coach. I believe Dwayne was in his ear telling, don't let him on the field. Don't let him play. He'd be better off praying in the dugout. That's how bad I was. So when Chipper was talking about a hitting slump, I'm like, hey, he's speaking my language. I just keep telling people I'm in a hitting slump. They don't know that it's a forever slump. But he said that when he got in that hitting slump, he said he would have had to go back to the fundamentals. He said the first thing he'd do was call his dad. And he would bring his dad to wherever he was. He said if we were playing on the road, it doesn't matter what city we were in, I would fly my dad to where I was, and we would get in the batting cage, and I would go back to hitting the ball off of a tee. Tee ball. Shipper Jones played tee ball as a major leaguer. You know why? Because that's how you teach the fundamentals. And sometimes, folks, we have to get back to the fundamentals in our walk with Christ. So I pray today that God will speak to your heart. I pray today that you'll be encouraged as we look in the Scriptures. And would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word? We're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to read verse 5, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to be with us for our hearts to be open. Uh, Also, by the way, uh, so I'm used to having Sal and Mary both singing on this side, uh, the same harmony part, and I thank uh, young Mary, as we call her. Thank young Mary for filling in for their part. Uh, So not only did Sal wake up uh, deathly ill this morning, uh, also Mary woke up to water coming out of the drain instead of going down the drain. So she's got quite the mess so We'll be praying for. Her. It's, it's difficult, you know. It had been difficult enough if her and Dave were together, but uh, when you have to face those things uh, by yourself, it can, it can certainly be challenging. Uh, and she's like, it must be meant for me not to be here this morning. Um, so my heart is also uh, with her as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, actually, let's read the text first. I got off my game here, right? Second Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not n- realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, our hearts are, Lord, somewhat burdened down. And Lord, we need your strength today. Lord, I need you today in a mighty way. Lord, we know that your word is perfect. It is complete. And Father, we all know today, Lord, that if we will allow it, your word will speak to our hearts. That your word has transformational power. And so we just pray today, Lord, as we expound from your word, that it won't be about me, the preacher. But it will be all about you. But Father, I pray today that you help us, Lord, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with who we are on the inside when we look in the mirror and it's just us. Lord, I pray that you help us, Lord, to be, Lord, to allow ourselves to be vulnerable today by opening up our heart. Because Lord, it's a scary thing sometimes when we're honest with ourselves. But Lord, we know today that we need to. So, Father, we pray for your strength, for your wisdom, and for your word to be within us. And we pray this in the name of your beautiful son Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. I felt like the Lord wanted us to start at this place in 2 Corinthians because this is a letter that Paul as a pastor wrote to the church at Corinth. Now there were things going on in Corinth and by the way the city of Corinth was a uh, a morally just corrupt place. Corinth is a little city that's located on the the in isthmus right it is a little jut out where it has a sea on both sides and if I remember correctly it's a it's a little over 2 miles from one side of the seashore to the other side of the seashore. And so boats would come in on this side of the sea, and they would take goods off the ship and just take it that two miles across and put it on another ship, going to somewhere else to the west. And this little seaport town, if you will, was full of sailors. And if you've ever heard somebody describe the ability of someone else to cuss, you know what they would cuss like, right? A sailor. So you can imagine this. And plus, if you could imagine just how many different belief systems there were. Um, there was temples to other gods and all these things. And when Paul traveled there and this church got started, you got to realize that the majority of them were also slaves. And Paul goes there with the hope that Christ will set you free. Can you imagine how that felt being someone that's been enslaved most of your life? In that culture, indentured uh, servanthood or indentured slavery was real popular. Indentured slavery means that if you couldn't pay your bill, you could sell yourself into service to the person you owed for a certain amount of time. So when we talk about slavery, when you see slavery a lot of times in the Scriptures, it's a little bit different than what we witnessed here uh, in our country uh, back in the 1800s. But still yet, uh, treated harshly, treated just like you think a slave would be treated, Uh, but it wasn't so much the color of the skin that landed them there as it was uh, typically the amount of money in their pocketbook. It was a matter of not being able to afford to live and having to sell themselves into service to someone else to be able to survive. And so Paul brings this message of hope in Christ to the Corinthian church or to the Corinthians there and the Corinthian church is born. So now Paul's writing uh, what we see as the second letter, but most theologians know that uh, or or attest that it it will be the actual third letter. There is a letter to the Corinthian church that we don't have in the Scriptures. Not sure why, but um, for whatever reason, that letter was not included uh, in what we call the canon or the Bible. But as we look at this second letter that we have a copy of, as Paul is writing to them, he's telling them to listen, be honest with yourself and examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. And that's something that I will challenge you to do today as well. Well, pastor, are you saying I'm not saying? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I think sometimes we need to, to, to well, my mother used to tell me I needed a check up from the neck up. You know what I'm saying? That was me being out of my mind with something Crazy. Uh, But I believe we need a a checkup of the heart today. So as Paul is writing this letter, he is actually, in the letter, if you read all of 2 Corinthians, that letter that he sent to the church to be read before the church. By the way, churches there wouldn't have been like a big church like this, right? The church there would have been home churches, typically. There would have been several different homes that they met in, and they would have been small home churches, Uh, And this letter would have been circulated through all of those churches. But Paul had received that there was word of some things going on uh, there, and he addresses that sin, he addresses their issues. And so then he, he, he asks them or gives them this challenge that I believe that God would challenge our hearts today, was examine yourself. Take a good look at ourselves and ask ourselves, are we truly prepared to meet God? But not only that, are we truly prepared to proclaim Christ in today's culture that we live in? If you haven't seen it lately, the world is getting a more awful place day by day. Sin is being exalted as being right, and all those who will hold to the truth of Scripture as being wrong. And Jesus said that that would happen. People would start calling right wrong and wrong right. They would trade the truth for their own passions and their own lusts of their heart. We see Paul write that in Romans 1. He said that, you know what, the image of God can be plainly seen by His very nature that He's created for us. If you don't believe in God, and I challenge people sometimes that that struggle with there's there a God, and listen, science, if you hear people in science, they will say that science proves there is no God, when it actually does the complete opposite, if people will be honest. When you look at the odds of life being able to be sustained on this earth itself, and how you and I came to be, how those atoms are formed, how those cells are formed, when we look at the complexity of what it takes just for a cell, the likelihood of a bunch of cells being able to come together or having these proteins attached to the amino acids and and having to do that billions of times for you and I to be created, the chance of that happening, by chance, you wouldn't want those odds. But that's why that's not discussed, because it doesn't fit the narrative of today's culture. Folks today are trying to free themselves from what they call the bondage of a belief system in a holy God. They feel like they are free when they release themselves from a notion that there is a God. H.B. Charles said this, and I absolutely love it. He says, think about being disconnected from God. And unless the Lord changes my mind next Sunday, we'll be looking at Psalms 2, which addresses this very nature. But he said, could you imagine being disconnected from God? People think that they're free when I disconnect myself from this holy God and His laws and and how He has created man and what He calls us to be. He said, but I ask you this very thing. He said, if a tree would be uprooted and its roots disconnected from the soil, is that tree really free to grow? And part of our church will really like this one. Somehow we ended up being a fishing church. I keep telling people, you keep parking boats in our parking lot, I'm on one. They hide the hitch from me. Can you believe that? He says, but you take a fish that bites onto a hook and takes the bait, and the fisherman jerks the fish out and frees it from the water that it lives in. Is that fish really free to live? He said, if you take a train and you free it from the rails and the train goes its own way, is it really free? You see, we're not free apart from God. We are free in God. Because the Bible said that Christ has set us free, free from the penalty of sin and the eternal destruction that you and I have earned by our very nature in their living. So Paul gives this challenge to the church to truly ask themselves. Paul identifies the fact that we are going to struggle with sin. It is a common part of our life because our very nature is sinful. He doesn't say that we won't struggle with it. But if we just release ourselves to it, then are we really in the faith. There was a, a challenge that we see in the scriptures that I want us to turn now to, and that's where we will spend our time today. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And we're going to see a challenge that Jesus gave to one specific church. If you start off reading in chapter 1, we see that the book of Revelation, by the way, there's no S on it. It's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation 1. One complete revealing, or at least as much as God is willing to reveal to us, of Christ, the purpose of life, and the end of time. That's what we see in this book. If you start off reading in chapter 1, you'll find out that, and then go into chapter 2, that Jesus is walking among the churches. The seven lampstands refer to the seven churches and the seven stars, to the angels of each church. Now, I don't know if that means that God's assigned an angel to every church. I don't know there's, you know, again, sometimes when scripture is not quite very clear, we try to clarify it with other passages. Sometimes you'll find that God just gives us a small glimpse of something and doesn't really reveal anything else about that. So we don't know. We know that angels are created beings, they are messengers of God. And in this particular case, seven lampstands are the seven churches in Asia Minor Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And in chapter 2, he addresses the first one, Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 1, I'd like you to kind of read along, if you would, uh, just to follow along so you can kind of make sure you understand what's happening here. And it says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil." And your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. That was a tree that Adam and Eve were able to eat from freely. In the garden, there was just one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. They were not allowed to eat. They were allowed to eat every other tree there. And they were able to eat freely from the tree of life. But after they sinned and did that which God told them not to, he drove them out of the garden. The Bible says, lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. One day, when this life is over, we'll be able to eat from that tree once again. All of those who know Christ and have submitted to Him. Now last week, Brother Kevin, he talked about delivering news. Sometimes you deliver news in a pattern. And we see this pattern in the Scriptures time and time again. You will see where God says something good. He begins with it. He ends with it. But He puts something bad in the middle. It's like having two pieces of potato bread with liverwurst in the middle. You know what I'm saying? That's what everybody does, liver, liverwurst. I don't like liver in any form or fashion. My grandfather used to eat it. He said, boy, you got to eat it, it's good. I, I used to tell him, I said, pap, when I get that poor to where I got to eat liver, times is bad. He said, son, you'll learn to like it. Sometimes we do. But God gives these, Jesus, as He walks among the church, He gives us these great things that the church in Ephesus were doing. But right smack dab in the middle, He calls them out on something so severely and so clearly. Now, just so you know, the church of Ephesus is a city that's located in what we would now know as present-day Turkey. Right? Right? And Ephesus had a temple of Diana or Artemis. Both names are used kind of synonymous, right? It'd be like calling Me Huff versus Tom, same person, right? Just two different names. But the temple of Diana was there, Artemis. And it was known as one of the seven wonders of the world. Had all these huge pillars all the way around it. And there was this big temple that's located inside of it. And in there, they would worship in ways that would just be detestable to us. Their worship uh, to the temple of Diana, the goddess of fertility and all this other stuff, and, and they would worship in ways that, that, that included just deviant type of sexual behavior, craziness. And they would do that inside as part of their worship. The temple was so big and so well-known and, and so you know, uh, heavily attended that even the bank of that area was located in the temple. People would come and store their money there, feeling that it would have the protection of the gods while it was there. Along comes Paul, teaching and preaching the gospel. And people in Ephesus started to hear about this hope that is in Jesus that doesn't require them to do detestable things, doesn't require of them the the type of things that that was being required of these gods. And by the way, if you ever look up Roman gods and, and all of their worship of the gods, they were always wondering if they were being accepted by the gods. There was never really any hope. They would hope that the gods would accept their worship or accept their sacrifice without really ever being sure. And then any kind of big thing that happened, such as you know, earthquakes, which happened there from time to time, all these things, they believed that they were then, the gods were mad at them, and they would just sacrifice that much more. Never really having hope or never really being sure of anything. And then here comes Paul saying, listen, God loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, that you've heard of. Think about the fame of Christ that had went through the lands. How did they know? Why did they know about this Christ? Well, remember the persecution of the Christians right after Christ had ascended. We see the early church so heavily persecuted that this name of the Christians and being in the way that they called it. Listen, it was being spread from every... To every corner of the world, at least as they saw. Remember, Rome had conquered much of the known world at the time, and they had made these roads to be able to do trade and to get rich. But listen, God had a purpose for that. Even the wrong that they had done, God used for good because he used it to be able to have folks like Paul travel all over the known world, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and telling them you're praying to gods that you don't know and don't care about you personally, and you never really know if you're accepted. I can Tell you today that the God, the one holy living God, Yahweh Himself, loves you so much that He sent Christ, His Son to die for you. And then on a the third day, he arose, and his fame is spread across the land. I'm telling, you, you can know him, and you can be sure today, sure that Almighty God Himself loves you and wants a relationship with you. You can be sure. Can you imagine? You can imagine the relief that they had to, to, to know that there is a God who is alive and that does not look down on them with disdain, but actually loved them so much he gave his son for them. Listen, the gospel message took hold and a fire broke out in Ephesus. Not a literal fire. a fire within the soul where people were, were spreading the gospel to their families and friends, and people by the droves were coming and believing in Christ for their eternal life. Listen, it caught fire so good and so hot that some local businessmen got mad. There was a silversmith named Demetrius and he got all the other silversmiths and jewelry makers together and see, they would be making these silver trinkets. Uh, these little uh, figurines of the goddess of Diana or Artemis, whatever you want to call her. And they would sell these to all those who, who worship this goddess, if you will. If I don't even like call them that because they aren't really a god. It was just a figure of their imagination and a carved image. But they would sell these little smaller images so that they could take the goddess Diana with them wherever they went. And they were getting rich off of false worship. But when the gospel started to spread to Ephesus, it spread so hot and so fast that the businessmen and women of that city saw their sales plummet so hard that they wanted to know why and what was going on. So Demetrius rallied others together and there was a riot that broke out in Ephesus to the point that they wanted to kill Paul. you imagine that? Could you imagine if a revival broke out in Berkeley County that was so hot and so wonderful that local business people that deal in things that are ungodly would see their business fall flat and have to shut down because of what God is doing in our midst? Can you imagine that? Trust me, it was the headline of the local newspaper of Ephesus. And this is the church that Jesus is now walking among. And so then he tells them, he said, listen, there's some some good things that they were doing. You see, if you were to look at the church of Ephesus and you were to peer inside the building, you would see that there were things going on. They were busy. He says, "I I know that you toil, you work. He says that they toil, they work with patient endurance. "...they also could not bear those who were evil, and they also tested and cast out false teachers." So, it wasn't like they were trying to bring some other teaching in. It wasn't like they were falling uh, to these false teachers and and, and falling to itchy ears and wanting to hear what they wanted to hear. They weren't falling for that because they hated that which was evil and they even tested those to come. So, if I was to walk up the church of heaven and say, Hey, my name's Huff and I'm a preacher of the gospel, they'd be like, Oh, really? Would you share with us some sermons? We want to make sure that you're following the word as it is written because we test those who teach around here. we get rid of those who do not teach the supreme truth man good church so far who wouldn't want to pastor that church they're a church that works they're a church that has patient endurance they don't like evil they cast out false teachers they even bore difficulty for the Lord's namesake. In other words, they, you know, they were chastised in some ways probably by the other locals there that didn't know Christ, right? So the, there was some persecution going on and they bared that for the Lord's sake. He even said that they have not grown weary. And then down in verse 6, you'll see that they hated the work of the Nicolaitans. Now there's some... Bible teachers like to wonder who the Nicolaitans are. We don't know exactly, but most feel that it was some kind of false teacher, most likely by the name of Nicholas, that has started to spread some some false teaching in the church and uh, had created kind of his own cult, if you will, and following to the point that they bore his name. He said, you hate the Nicolaitans. I also hate them. So this is a church that was busy. This is a church that hated evil spoke out against evil, didn't grow weary, and hated all religions who were false. Sounds like a good church. Not a pastor here. By the way, let's face it, you and I all, we'd probably have to hang our head on some of these. Right When I look and see all the good things that the Church of Ephesus was doing, I see some of those which I struggle with. Patience. Huh. Who's got time for that? By the way, don't ever pray for it. Don't pray for patience. Because God will show you some. And it won't be fun. But I'm sure there's some things that maybe you didn't, couldn't check off your list, and there's definitely some things that I can't check off my list. So then how is it that Jesus has something against them? If they're good at all these things, if they don't grow weary, they hate evil, they hate false teaching, they call people out on them, they don't like the Nicolaitans. I mean, this church looks like a church that looks in great shape. But he says this, but I've got something against you. And let me tell you something today, when Jesus has got something against you, you have a problem, my friends. If Jesus calls you out, and if he's calling you out today, and he said that I've got something against you, you better take heed and listen to what he's saying, because Jesus don't play. Jesus is not this weak-hearted, milly-mouthed little God that I'm just going to die if I don't have you. That's not how it is. He said, listen, I love enough to give my life for you, But if you reject me, you will drink, what Revelation says, the cup of wrath, full strength. We we preach about the love of Christ, but we forget about the wrath that is to come. And when Jesus has something against you, my friends, you have got a serious problem. And notice it says that they have abandoned The love they had at first. Abandoned. It didn't say they lost it. It didn't say you lost your love. I mean, how do you lose that? How do you lose that kind of how do you lose love? I lost it here somewhere. So I'd pick it up if I could find it, but right now I can't see it nowhere. It wasn't that they lost it, it says that they have abandoned it. In other words, they had, they had went away from the love that had once fueled them, but they were still doing the stuff. And you see, this, this church of Ephesus, this, this preacher is its preacher's really hard, because if we're not careful, I can tell you, especially as a pastor, we'll get so busy in the work of God that we somehow just slip away from loving God. And there's another thing that's also dangerous in this that they were doing all the work. They were hating evil, hating false teachers. They were doing these things, which is, you know, should be uh, something that a Christian is doing. But sometimes we get so busy doing the work of God, we quit spending time with God. And we quit loving Him to the point that we keep doing the work and somehow we start to believe in ourselves that we have earned righteousness instead of realizing that the only righteous thing about Huff is the covering that Christ has covered me with, with His sacrifice on the cross. That's the only righteous thing about Huff. And by the way, it's the only righteous thing about you. You see, sometimes we can get so caught up in doing the work that we forget to love. We forget to spend that time together. This is one of those times where being the bride of Christ, as God has used marriage as this picture of his relationship with us, this is one of those times where the similarities are almost scary. You see, I can remember when I came to Christ. Do you remember the, when you surrendered to Him? Do you remember when you realized that you were lost and undone without Him? I remember just being an absolute mess. I had driven my life into uh, just down into a hole, and I just didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like living. And I certainly didn't feel worthy, and I just absolutely hated myself. I hated what I saw in the mirror. And I'll never forget that Friday night at that revival at Daisy's Chapel Church that's still there bearing the name today. I remember sitting in the back row, and I wouldn't have went that night had they not asked me to be there to play music. I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't go there looking for revival. I didn't go there looking for, uh, for God. I didn't go there looking to somehow satisfy this hole that was in my heart. I was just there to play music because I really enjoyed it. But God had a different plan. Because that night, something changed in my life. That night, I saw myself as the mess that I was and realized that there was nobody to blame but me. Oh, I blamed everybody else for my lot in life, do not you? you everybody else, It's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else doing something wrong. Right? Y'all know the song. You've heard me sing it a couple times. Hey... Why don't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song? It's got to be somebody else's fault. But that night, that night the realization hit me full bore where I realized that it was me. It was me and the choices that I made that put myself where I was at. And suddenly the call from Christ to surrender my life, to take all that I was and all that I had created and all the mess that I had done and how I had torn my life down, all the things associated with that that night, I, I was given that invitation to lay that down. and To pick up Christ. He says for us to cast all of our cares upon Him. He said, take my yoke, For it is easy and my burden is light. You see, I had the world on my shoulders and it had weighed me down to the point that I felt like my feet were just sinking in the dirt that I was standing on. The weight of the world was upon me and I had no satisfaction. I had no joy. I had nothing that felt like it was worth holding on to. Matter of fact, if it wasn't my fear of hell, I would have likely picked up one of those many guns that I had and I would have just kissed this world goodbye but there was a fear that was instilled in me that I knew that hell was a real place and I didn't want to go there and that was the only thing but let me tell you today fear of going to hell is not enough for you to persevere but I remember that night of surrendering my heart to God and my life was forever changed. And I remember getting up that night and I was no longer playing music for music's sake. I wanted to sing the praises of God. I wanted to tell folks about Jesus. I wanted to tell them about how the burdens of my heart were lifted and given away and I received eternal life in its place. That that night, that very night, that Friday night in that revival, Reverend Ray Mullins was preaching and I, I can go back to that place in my mind just like it was yesterday. That day, my reservation in heaven was made. And I remember how much I wanted to tell everybody else about this love of Jesus. And then days after that and weeks after that, people were waiting for me to fail and do something stupid. But listen, I was in love with Almighty God. You know why? Because for the first time, I saw true love because I didn't do anything to earn the love of Jesus, yet he was willing to lay his life down. My favorite verse, Romans 5:8, for God committed his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means he died for me, the sinful man, and all that I had done, that was the huff he died for, not the one who would become a pastor, not the one who would preach the gospel. But the huff had messed up his life that while i was yet a sinner christ died for me but you know there's when i think about being the bride of christ it brings in this kind of image and understanding and god uses marriage throughout the scriptures to kind of explain his relationship with us and i think that if there's ever a place that's fitting it's right here in this when jesus said that you've abandoned the love you first had you see, I don't know about you, but I remember when I first saw Sal. She was standing in Chantilly, Virginia at Faraday International, standing in front of a vending machine buying whatever. I don't even know what she bought. All I knew was that I walked in and there was an angel standing in front of the vending machine. Y'all remember that? I saw that. I was like, hmm. Y'all know what I'm saying? I'm like, Dag on what did the Lord make here? Look at that. Just wanted to ask her if it fell when, if it hurt when she fell out of heaven. You know what I mean? Does it hurt being so pretty? I want to know. It must be awful to look in the mirror and just be that beautiful and have to live with that. But boy, I sure would like to try. Man, I saw her and the room lit up. There wasn't nobody else around. You could have said, Huff, you just won the lottery. Turn around, I'll give you a million dollars. I'd be like, give it to me later. If you don't take it now, you'll miss out. Oh, I think I see everything I need right here. Man, I got talking to her and she started, she was kind of sweet on me and I was sweet on her. Y'all remember back in days, days? Eh? Y'all remember them days, don't you? You remember them days when you look at, the, oh man, listen, every time I went to go see her, I even cleaned my car out. Oh, come on, y'all get real now. I mean, I know some of y'all might be neat freaks, but some of us ain't. I'd be like there was a 7-Eleven up the road from not too far from where she lived that had a trash can. And every time I'd go to pick her up, I'd stop by a 7-Eleven and I'd get all the trash out of my car and I'd put it there and I'd buy me another one of them green trees and hang it up. But listen, I'd hang it up full strength too. Some people take that thing and just, you're supposed to just pull it down a little each week. I'd pull that thing right out of the cellophane and hang that thing up. Get some air up around that mug. hold it in front of the AC vent. Smelled like a pine forest when I went there. Life was good. And she was like, wow, you always keep your car so nice. <laughs> Ask her that now. Now she opens the door, what is this flowing out? Y'all know, y'all remember when you used to go into the other room to pass gas? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I ain't the only one that lets it now. Come on. You didn't think the other one even ever went to the bathroom? It's funny, she never goes to the bathroom. It's like, man, you love each other. Everybody's always perfect. Makeup's always done. My hair, never mind, not about that. Uh, I was going to say my hair was always combed. Well, the sides were slicked down, I can tell you that. You looking in the mirror? I even had a little bit of a comb over for a while. You know what I'm saying? Just trying to look the part here. Always had clean clothes on. You know, one's actually washed, not the one you put in the dryer with that dryer sheet for five minutes. By the way, warm is not clean. Always looking your best, doing your best for each other. Why? Because your heart is just melted. Passionate. But then we got married. And I realize she does go to the bathroom. I remember the first time walking in that room. Whoa What happened here I didn't think you did that Man, the reality of life set in Before we'd never argue. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I said sorry first. I'm sorry. Y'all remember that? You hang up. No, you hang up. Now you get mad at each other and slam the phone down. Boy, life changed when you started living everyday life. You Start raising children. The craziness of life ensues. And that once hot, passionate, burning love and desire for each other and always wanting the best for each other y'all remember back when you used to sacrifice because you wanted to because it made you feel good inside to know that you did something. And then you start living and there's no longer sacrificing matter of fact i ain't sacrificing i'm trying to get mine if you know what i'm saying i want my time I want my money i want things my way Sal so wanted to buy stuff to make the house look good and i'm like shoot it's just a place to sleep i want some musical equipment have you see i got another guitar i want When Sal met me, I gave up one addiction and had another one, right? It was called Bluegrass and Instruments. I do have a sickness. You walk in my office, you'll see that I'm still sick. I can't help myself. Next thing you know, we're fighting to try to make sure that I get at least my half. She wants her half. Man, life drastically changed. It went from having this burning passion. That I, I listen, I would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and drive down just to put a rose on her windshield. Now, I would go past where I worked. Y'all know what I'm saying? I, I drove past work, went all the way down to her house, put a rose on her windshield, did come back to work. After a year of marriage, I was lucky to get to work on time. Y'all know what I'm saying? Much less pass it an hour early. That wasn't happening. And next thing you know, we're complacent. It wasn't that I wasn't still working and bringing home money to feed the family. We were still feeding the kids. I was still trying to provide nice things for it. It wasn't that. It's just that passion and desire that we had to complete each other's life and to to be that oneness that God called out in the scripture. When we first started, you know, I I don't want anybody to see where a huff ends and Sal begins. Y'all know what I'm saying? You go from that to all of a sudden wanting your identity. This is who I am. Why are you trying to change me? Your kids start to grow up, and by the time your kids get out of the house, you're two strangers living in the same place. Oh, it's not that you try to harm one another. It's not that you aren't still trying to pay the bills and do all the things that you need to do. It's not that. It's just that now you're just two strangers living. Why? Because we abandoned the desire and the love that we had. Now, I want to tell you that marriage, by his design, doesn't mean that we're always going to have that young puppy love. It doesn't mean we're always going to be that silly. But it does mean that the love will deepen. And while it may not be that hot, passionate, eros love that we once had, you find that near the end of your life, you actually have a much deeper love and respect for one another that is way, way better than just that hot, passionate love you had when you were young. That's God's design. So do you see what Jesus is saying here? It wasn't that they weren't doing the work of the church. It's just that passion that once fueled them. That passion is no longer there. You see, when that passion is there for Christ, you want to go out and you want to proclaim his name. I saw a statistic the other day that says 70% of people who claim to know Christ do not share their faith with other people. How is that 70% of those people who have been rescued from the flames of hell by a Savior who loves you so much that He would allow Himself to be nailed to the cross in torture and be sacrificed for us? How is it that 7 out of 10 could take that kind of love so nonchalantly that they wouldn't dare share the goodness of Christ with anyone else. Yet, if we got something on sale and got a good deal, we'd be telling everybody that. Get a good deal on a car, you wanna tell everybody that kind of stuff. Something good happened in your work, you get a promotion or you get this or get that, you wanna tell everybody, but yet the one who rescued from hell's flames, you don't wanna tell people about Christ. See Jesus is saying here, you can do all the things, but that's not love. He looked at this church of Ephesus that one, once burned hot with passion. Was now just existing. There was an old bluegrass song. It says I no longer love, but I just exist. what's happened to our love life with Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, I'm not talking about you. I'll talk about me for a minute. You see, I find that when my passion for Christ is burning hot, then I see you differently. You see, when my passion for Christ is burning hot, I realize that not only did he die and give his life for me, but he also did it for you. And because he loves you, I love you. And it's amazing. Peter said that grace covers a multitude of sin. I find that I'm less aggravated with people and I'm willing to go the distance with folks when the passion of Christ is burning hot within me. But when I've not spent time together with him, you see that's how you keep the love, right? You've heard the story of David and Mary many times, but we they always said, you know, we'll never stop dating. Never stop dating. Always spend that time, nurture that relationship. And I find that when I don't have quiet time, when I don't take that time each day with Christ and spend that quiet time with Him, and listen, I have found that I better do it first. Because when I don't, somehow the day takes a hold and I never have time for it. Just like exercise, my doctor said, Huff, you need to take time work on your health. And listen, you need to get a hold of this thing or you're really going to be sorry and you're really, you're really going to do some serious, you know, unreparable damage. And I'm like, he said, but let me, let me let you in on something. It's got to be a priority and you got to put it in the beginning of your day because you try to put it later on in the day, you're not going to have time and you're not going to feel like it. And with this kind of disease, you already get up feeling like you don't want to do it. So later on, by the time you move around and things start to set in, your pain's going to increase as the day. So by the evening time, you're going to be in too much pain to do it. So listen, if you don't get it in early. Same thing with relationships. Got to put in the time. But I find that when I'm not spending that time with Jesus, when I'm not in his word, when I'm not spending that quiet time praying, and I have found this one thing to be true. I find that the best prayer time that I have is the time that I spend less talking and do more listening. I find myself going to him in prayer and pouring out my heart and then just sitting in quietness with him. And that time is the best time. We got to remember that without love, we have nothing, folks. You see, you can go do all these things for Christ, you can, you can feed homeless, you can, you can clothe them, you can do all these things, but without the love in Christ, then you really have nothing. Because I find that even when I go to do the work of the church, if my heart's not right, if I haven't spent that time with Christ, that even when I go to do those things, I do them, even sometimes almost out of aggravation and anger, then i got to do it. I'll still do it. I'll still visit you, I'll still do what I gotta do, but the whole time I was like, I wish I didn't have to go here. I find myself aggravated and discontent. But when I spend that time with Christ and that passion is burning hot, that not only do I, I go and do the things of the church, but I listen, I love it and it fills me in a way that I cannot explain. But listen, I can do the same act and do it once with my heart prepared in Christ and then do it again without my heart prepared for Christ. And still yet do the same act. Do the same visitation. Do the same things that I needed to do. And there's two different outcomes in my heart. When I do it with my heart burning hot for Christ, I find pleasure in doing even the worst things. But when I don't spend that time with Christ, and I start to get aggravating and I start measuring myself against you. You know what's amazing about when I start to compare myself to you? I always win. Y'all know what I'm saying? I don't compare myself to somebody who I know is living a good Christian. I always compare myself to somebody who's struggling, right? Well, God, you know I'm better than that person. I don't, I don't really compare myself to Kevin too much. kevin got it going on. I, right? I, you, you don't go pick, you know, when, you, when a tiger's trying to... To get to eat an antelope, right? He's hungry. He's like, man, I sure could eat something. Oh, there's a herd of antelope. He don't go for the biggest, strong one. That tiger goes for that weakling. It's lagging behind. Oh, look at that one. That's easy. I always compare myself to somebody I know struggling. It's a lot better. I look. I come out looking better. When I start making, t- wow, look at that, five to three, Chris. <laughs> what? What's funny is Chris compared himself to me this week and I lost out five to three. I don't know how that works. (laughs) But listen, I'm not measured against you, and you're not measured against me. I'm measured against the holiness of God, and I lose every time. The passion passion that we once had, the love that we once had, that burned hot for Christ. Where did it go? Because Christ didn't change. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know that love chapter? I'm not going to read the whole thing, but verse 1 says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 13 says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, but these three, of these three, the greatest of these is love. A lawyer comes up to Jesus and he asks him a question found in Matthew chapter 22. Starting at verse 35, it says, One of them, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great f- and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So listen, you could take all the Mosaic laws and it boils down to these two. Those laws are either addressing my relationship with God, vertical, remember that? Or my relationship with fellow man, horizontal. All those laws will address those two things. And so Jesus said all the laws could be summed up to this. Love Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see when it says thou shalt not kill, right? That's your horizontal relationship. When it says you shall have no other gods before me, that's a vertical relationship. Even the Ten Commandments deals vertical horizontal and I find this to be true I cannot honor and love God and bring glory to him while treating the work of his hands dishonorably you and I are made in his image I cannot bring glory to God and hold Him high in His banner and bring Him glory while treating you like trash. John said in 1 John that we love Him because He first loved us. But we also love our brothers and our sisters. And if we don't, how can we say the love of God is in us. You see, it all comes down to love. I will not treat you in a way that's pleasing to God without the love of God in my heart which compels me to also love my neighbor as myself. You see, the simple fact is God knows that sometimes as neighbors, we're bad neighbors. Anybody ever had a bad neighbor? I was one. You see, I, Years ago, we used to travel in this bus. We had a GM coach that we had turned into a, you know, a, what we call a redneck tour bus, right? You take all the seats out of a bus and you put some beds in it and some couches and a generator. And now you've got a makeshift redneck tour bus. And we used to park it at my house when I lived over in Jefferson County. And I could remember we'd come in sometimes two or three o'clock in the morning, on a, you know, on a Monday morning. We played somewhere late Sunday night, hours and hours away, and we'd drive, and we'd back that bus in 2 o'clock in the morning. And it just so happened the exhaust was facing my neighbor's house, and we'd have to back that thing in and sometimes not get her quite right, and we'd have to pull forward back. Some of us aren't as good as drivers as you all are, right? We'd have to do an 80-point turn and get in there, and I'd see the porch light come on in that house and lights go on, and, and oh, my neighbors hated me. Well, that was one reason, <laughs> for the other reasons I cannot divulge here at this moment in time. <laughs> Sometimes we aren't good neighbors. But Jesus told us to love our neighbors. As a matter of fact, he even told our love neighbors to this point, He said, "Listen, love those who hate you. Love those who spitefully use you. And you know what I found is sometimes we're pretty good at loving our neighbors. When I was preaching to a bunch of preachers one time at a conference meeting, I said, "You know, it's not by accident that the qualifications found in 2 Timothy and also Titus tell us first that for a pastor and preacher, we got to have a good relationship with God. Got to have a good relationship with our spouse." And we need to have good relationships with our neighbors and walk godly among them i said what's interesting is outside of my house i'm more likely to walk godly than inside my house sometimes i treat neighbors like myself to everybody else except for the people at my address you understand what i mean sometimes it's the people in my own home that I show the least amount of love and respect for. So it's not by accident that the qualification to become a pastor is a good relationship with God, and then secondly with my wife and then my family, because my wife and our family is the one, is the two groups of people that preachers most often neglect. And I cannot bring honor to God and be dishonorable in my own home, or be dishonorable to those who are my neighbors so let's be honest with ourselves. And I leave you with this question. What does God have against you? So the church of Ephesus, they were working hard. They were doing the works. They were doing the ministry. But they had lost their love. They had a, I'm sorry, they had abandoned their love. They were so busy doing the stuff that they neglected their relationship with Almighty God. And when we neglect our relationship with Almighty God, I promise you, all other relationships will suffer. Are you hearing me? If we neglect our relationship with God, all other relationships will suffer. But Jesus... Jesus gave us a remedy. Look at verse 5. And that's the passage I wanted to leave you with. Verse 5 says this, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the work you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, what does it mean for him to remove his lampstand? you got to remember that if there's any light in us, it's the light of Christ. We have no light within ourselves. We are dark. Jesus is talking about his removing his presence from that church. And I believe that's also in our lives. If you don't believe that, go back and read the story of Saul when he disobeyed God. And you'll see that when when God just removed his presence from Saul, we see a Saul that was in agony and misery. And never could find the peace that he was looking for. He said, it's a three-step process. He said, first off, remember. Remember from where you fall. In other words, think back. And I want you to bow your heads right now. I don't want you to pay attention to anybody else. Yes, there's some kids around. It's no big deal. I don't want you to listen to anyone else other than the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. And I want you to, first off, remember, remember when you had joy. Remember the time where you felt most connected to God and had the greatest amount of joy. And while you're picturing that in your mind, I want you to think about how you got there. How much were you reading your Bible? How much were you spending time in prayer? How much were you sharing the gospel message with Christ? And while you remember that, I want you to now think about what is your focus now? Does God get the best of your time or does he get the leftovers? Are you trying to walk with life set on your course and you just want God to make you feel better about where you're gonna go when you die? Or do you really want to have that joy back in your heart that you once had? He said, remember. There's a saying that says if we don't remember history, we're doomed to repeat it. So while you're now remembering, he said the next step is repent. It means turn away from. It's not just about saying you're sorry, because you can say that real quickly right now. You can say, God, I'm sorry. Repenting is more than just apologizing. It's literally setting a new course back in the direction toward God and not away from Him. And the third step is to, He said, go back and do the first things that you did. What is that? Praying, reading the Bible, joining up with other believers, spending time in God's presence with other believers with that shared promise that if we'd gather in his name, he'd be in the midst and sharing the word with other people who need it. I find that there are times in my life where I didn't share the gospel because I was embarrassed to say I was a Christian, not because I was embarrassed of God, but I knew that the actions people were seeing me with did not match that of a Christian. So I would not even tell people. While your heads are bowed, Brother Brian's going to play you something softly. We live in a world that's quickly changing. Shepper Jones said for him to get back to hitting well, he had to go back to hitting a ball off a tee. That's a rudiment. That's just a basic thing that we teach kids on how to play baseball. They learn how to hit by hitting a ball off a tee a major leaguer would go back to that simple thing of hitting a ball off a tee. Listen, there's no shame in that. I don't want you to leave here ashamed. I want us to leave here committed to start hitting the ball off the tee again. You see, that's what this is all about. That reset is about saying, you know, I veered off course. I haven't really been put in the time. I haven't been working that relationship with God and and spending that time with Him and growing stronger in that. I know that He's all-powerful. I know that He promises to take care of me, so I'm just taking that promise and I'm just walking with it and doing life my way. But that's not where the joy is at. The joy is not in going your own way, hoping that God's okay with it. Matter of fact, it leaves you without joy and it leaves you not really sure about what life is. If you were to go to a counselor for relationships you know what's interesting is they would tell you to do these same exact things remember that passion that you once had turn away from the direction you're going now and go back and do the things you used to do go back and spend that time together sal and i used to like to ride down the road holding hands And this morning, about 4 30, when she woke me up, casting for air. And I got her in the car. We were about to head to the hospital and we took off. You know where my hand was? In hers and her hand in mine. We're not the two young puppy love people we used to be. But God has given us healing in our relationship, and I find that. I still love riding down the road with her hand in mine as much today, if not more, than I ever did. Thanking God that I still have her. Praying for more time. Praying that God will bless us for more years. Listen, I've asked you to remember, and I've laid out the plan, but here's this. Brother Brian's going to play one more song, and this time I'm going to ask you this. Do you really want your joy? Do you really want to be back in that place with Him where you, you have the safety of knowing that that relationship is there? Maybe you're here today and you've never, never had a relationship with them. It's one thing to say you mean it sitting in his seat, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you want to reset today, if you feel there's something you need to lay down at this altar and lay it before him, then get up. And come do just that. If you feel the Holy Spirit speaking in your heart, will you move? Do you want it enough to get up from your seat? As this one's come, would there be another? Just come lay it all. Leave it here. Don't take it home with you. As these come, would there be others? Just come lay it down. God loves you. He died for you while you were yet a sinner. He didn't die for the better version of you. He died for the worse version of you. He already knows. God already knows what you struggle with. God already knows your heart. And his arms are open wide right now, saying, would you, would you come to me? Would you come? Take what you want to do in your heart and put legs on it. As these pray, there's more room. I promise you we won't run out of room. Would there be others here? As the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. I can promise you he's not going to reject you. He's not that kind of God. He's a loving God. He made a way of escape for us.